I'm, I'm not very good at celebrating. I we have these amazing trees and the light, and, and that helps. But I'm, I'm just really not very good at celebrating. Now, for me, some things are easier to celebrate than others, uh, like an anniversary. Uh, the fact that someone would stay married to me is, is reason to celebrate. But, but I'm really bad at birthdays. I, I know, I probably just have the wrong perspective on birthdays, but I kind of feel like, congratulations, your mother gave birth to you. We should be throwing her a party. And after having kids of my own, I realize that it's only because of mom, in most cases, that you are still alive. That you made it to your fifth birthday, and then your 15th, and now your 18th, and yes, we'll see you when you graduate from college. But I'm, I'm just not that good at celebrating. And, and maybe you kind of perceive the same thing. You see that, you know, there's some people who are really good at celebrating. You know, they're, they're like practically professional celebrators. We, we have one in our congregation here, a professional celebrator. I think, do we have a picture of our professional celebrator? We do, yes. This, my friends, is someone for whom celebrating comes very, we almost have to stop the celebrating sometimes. It's just another Monday, Sherry, okay? <clears throat> but for others, uh, we feel we, we need a little more help when it comes to the area of celebrating. And, and you know, this kind of tends to flow into our Christmas uh, because Christmas is supposed to be the best time of the year, the greatest time of the year. But sometimes it kind of feels like scheduled joy, right? Like there's someone standing there going, okay, joy on cue in three, two, one, hit it. And it's hard sometimes, especially when there's so many other parts of Christmas that have the tendency to just suck the joy right out of us. Some of us need a little more help. Uh, and we also recognize that for some, it's an especially difficult time of the year to celebrate. Especially difficult time of the year to find joy. And so you might ask, can I, can I even have joy this Christmas? And the answer is yes. Yes. We're, we're continuing our series called The Christmas Story. Uh, and today in the passage that we're going to look at, um, Mary is the model for joy. And I know what some of you are thinking right now because you do this all the time. Or maybe it's because I know I do it all the time and therefore I assume that you do it all the time. You think, wh what do I have in common with Mary? What do I have in common with a first century Jewish teenager 
who out of all the people in the world, God chose her to give birth to his son, and millions of people talk about her every year, and other millions pray to her every day. She's my model for joy. What do I have in common? What could I possibly have in common with Mary? And the answer is, more than you think. So stick with me today. That's what we're going to see. And here, here's what we're going to understand. Here's what we're going to discover. This is our bottom line for today. That we are to marvel at the story. But we rejoice in what God has done. We marvel at the story. We marvel at the artistry that God used to unfold the story of Christmas. But we rejoice. Our joy is found in what God has done. And Mary's going to model that for us this morning in our passage in Luke chapter 1. Would you pray with me as we jump in to our scriptures this morning? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We pray that what we do not know, you would teach us. What we are not, that you would make us. And that you would do it through your Holy Spirit. And through your Son, Jesus. And we ask it all in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, you, you probably already know the first part of the story. It starts in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin who was betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And of course we all know that Mary, upon hearing these words, realizes that there is a biological quandary present here. How am I, a virgin, going to have a child? And God effectively says, don't worry about that part. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High. And then he says in verse 37, for nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. Oh, and by the way, uh, your relative Elizabeth, uh, you know, the one who's been barren her entire life, she's six months pregnant with a child as well. Mary nods her head and says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. And the angel leaves. 
Now, now you have to put yourself in Mary's sandals. Something amazing has just happened. I have a feeling she was standing there with her head just reeling, thinking, what just happened? And then the next thought was, and what is going to happen next? You see, as a 13-year-old girl, now soon to be pregnant and unmarried in the culture in which she finds herself, the realization is setting in that life as she envisioned it just isn't going to be. That the life that she saw herself living, what, what was supposed to be, now simply cannot be. And maybe you've found yourself there. That life is never going to be how you envisioned it. Or that it was exactly how you had envisioned it. And now everything has changed. You can understand what it's like to stand in Mary's sandals. You know, I thought about it. it at least Moses had a staff, right? When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and said, go tell Pharaoh, at least he gave him a staff that would turn into a serpent, right, as some kind of proof. At least he gave him Aaron to come alongside and, and back up his story and speak for him. But Mary, there's no staff. There's just a growing belly that's explainable in far too many other ways than a miraculous appearing of an angel and a miraculous conception of the Son of God. And so what does Mary do? In verse 39, it says, In those days Mary arose, and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She arose and went with haste into the hill country. The first time I read that, I thought, she headed for the hills. I mean, that's literally what she did. She got up and she got out and she ran for the hills. And I'm picturing her parents. They're like, have you seen Mary? No, I haven't. Did you check, find my iPhone? Uh, I did. She's been offline for like two hours now. I don't know what's going on. I did mention she was a teenager, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Undo the find my iPhone feature. Disappear. What about the GPS tracking device on her donkey? <laughs> she left it at home. All right. But, but in reality, Mary's heading for the hills had a purpose. You see, if, if there was one person on the planet 
who could tell her that she wasn't going crazy? It was her relative, Elizabeth. Right? The angel had said not only that a virgin would conceive, but that an old woman would as well. And so Mary spends a couple of days, a few days traveling, thoughts running through her mind of what she would find when she got to Elizabeth's house. And she walks in the door. And Zechariah, of course, doesn't say anything. He's mute can't speak until John is born. Uh, So she walks right in the house, waves to Zechariah, and then Elizabeth appears. And it says in verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Elizabeth, oh, I lost my spot. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John the Baptist, six months in utero, hears Mary's voice and leaps for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love the idea of John the Baptist leaping for joy. If you've ever been pregnant and you know that six-month stage, you can feel movement in the child. And I almost, I picture John the Baptist hearing Mary's voice, knowing through the Holy Spirit, yes, in the womb, knowing who this was and what this meant. And it's almost like he leapt and wanted to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Mary, through Elizabeth's Holy Spirit-inspired speaking, hears everything that the angel had spoken to her confirmed as truth. And so Mary in good Disney princess fashion, breaks out in song. In verse 46, she says, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I want you to notice what Mary didn't say. Mary didn't say, my flesh magnifies the Lord. She didn't say, my fears rejoice. She didn't say, 
all of the feelings of uncertainty within me rejoice in God my Savior. No, she said, my soul magnifies. My spirit rejoices. It's that eternal part of Mary. The part of her that agrees with God. The part of her that communes with God and His Holy Spirit. The part of Mary that is designed to trust in God. That part of her magnifies. That part of her rejoices. Because there are times in our lives when uncertainty and fears and other things in our flesh are so overwhelming that we almost have to close our eyes and shut it all out so that our spirit can praise God. So that our spirit can rejoice. And that's Mary. She says, I rejoice in God my Savior. Now this word rejoice obviously has a lot in common with the word joy and we're talking about joy today. And so I want to help you understand that, that rejoicing happens on a spectrum. Uh, they, it can be everything from simply being glad to being overjoyed. Anything from my style of joy to Sherry Campbell's style of joy. Can you have joy this Christmas? Can you be glad? You don't have to be all the way over there at overjoy. You don't have to go Disney princess style. But you can be glad. And what can you be glad about? We follow Mary's example. She says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He sees me. And from, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, or, or the mighty one, from Zephaniah 3.17, he who is mighty has done great things things for me. She says he's done great things for me. Which brings us back to our question. <laughs> what do I, 40-year-old white male Protestant in the United States of America in 2016, have in common with a first century Jewish teenager who was chosen by God to bear his son, always known for all generations, will call her blessed more than you think. Let's line it up. 
You say, Mary, Mary, God chose her. Mm. But he chose you too. Ephesians 1 says he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. If you belong to Christ, he chose you too. But he gave her a son. True. But he made you a son or a daughter, an heir in his kingdom. But she had Jesus in utero. To which I say, Jesus is in you too, yo. <laughs> it just rhymed kind of. Genesis, no, not Genesis, Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. All generations will call her blessed. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And not only that, but you've been given an inheritance with Christ. And you've received the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of that inheritance. If you need a reminder of what you have to be glad for, of where your joy begins, and maybe marveling at the story because you've heard it a thousand times isn't producing that joy, but this should, what God has done for you. You too can say that the Mighty One has done great things for me. And this is the gospel, isn't it? That in Christ He chose you, that you have forgiveness of sins, that you've been adopted, that you will receive an inheritance, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you will spend eternity with Him. We would do well to follow Mary's example and submit ourselves in the same way that she submitted herself and say, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. But Mary goes on. She, she says, it's not just about me. In verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. His mercy is for those who fear him. You know, you may find yourself in a deep, dark place right now. 
wondering where the mercy and goodness of God is today. And I would just encourage you to hold on to these words of David when he found himself in a similar position. And he declared this, he said, I believe, in Psalm 27, 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's coming. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He's coming. Because His mercy is from generation to generation. And then Mary ties it all together with the last couple of verses of her song, which many of you know as the Magnificat. She says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Mary saw not only the great things that God had done for her. She declared not only the fact that His mercy and His loving kindness is from generation to generation, that it has not skipped her, and it will not skip those who fear the Lord. But she says, I see it. It's coming. He's fulfilling His promise to Abraham that through His offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That through His offspring, one would sit on the throne of David, the Messiah. And she recognized history, covenants, promises being fulfilled and what has been spoken to her, and what is taking place. So our question was, can you have joy this Christmas? Can, can you rejoice this Christmas? Yes. As a a follower of Christ, I, I hope that you have discovered that you have far more in common with Mary than you ever realized. And that all of the things that she rejoices in are true of you as well. Except maybe that whole thing about people praying to you and calling you blessed from generation. Okay, maybe not that. But, but maybe generations in your family will call you blessed. We can follow Mary's lead in reminding ourselves of what God has done for us. The nature of His character, His mercy, and His loving kindness that David says are from everlasting to everlasting. And finally, 
we celebrate this Christmas the fulfillment of his covenant, the fulfillment of his promises. And we look forward to the promises yet to be fulfilled in anticipation and expectation of the mighty one. The mighty one who has done great things for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the faith of Mary. Thank you for her declaration of faith and trust. And this morning, we, we lift our hearts to you. That you would move our hearts somewhere on this spectrum of joy, somewhere on the spectrum of rejoicing, that we would be glad, that we would take account, that we would treasure that we would marvel at the story and we would rejoice in what you have done.